Okay, I think we're in the clear. You are listening to Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Common Ground Radio with your host CJ Walk is up next. Good morning, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture here in the state of Maine and beyond, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, and heard only here on WERU. My name is CJ Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU, your local community radio station. Uh, So today, we will be discussing the farm to institution movement in the Northeast with some focus on local initiatives here in Maine to bring more local foods into the cafeterias and dining services of colleges, universities, hospitals, and other institutions. Uh, But before, well, I have a couple of guests that are with me on the show today, but before we get to the introductions and discussion, I'd like to make listeners aware of a few food and farming related events they may find of interest here in our community. So uh, actually tomorrow, March 5th, is Mofka's Spring Growth Conference. The focus for that conference is on soils and it is being held at Mofka's Common Ground Education Center in Unity. And you can find out more information on the Mofka website, which is www.mofga.org or by calling uh, the office phone line at 568-4142. And then on Sunday, March 6th, there is an organic orcharding workshop uh, organized by Mofka and College of the Atlantic. It's focused on pruning and renovating old trees, and that's being held Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and that is at Beach Hill Farm in Mount Desert on MDI. And you can find out more information about that through uh, the Mofka website or phone number also. And then uh, a little bit further into the month, there is a uh, Washington County Food Summit, which has a snow date of March 19th, but um, it's, sorry, it's scheduled for March 12th with the snow date of March 19th. And this is organized by Healthy Acadia's Community Food Council and the keynote speech, Land and Sea Connections in Our Food System by Amanda Beal uh, will be the focus of the day. So to register, which registration is free, uh, you can contact Healthy Acadia through 255-3741. And then towards the end of the month on March 23rd is the 2016 Maine Grain Conference uh, focused on post-harvest handling. And that is a Wednesday at the Northern Maine Community College in Presque Isle. So if you're up north and listening, um, you can look for that conference and more information can be found through the MOFCA website. Uh, or the office phone number, and that website, again, is mofka.org, and the office phone number is 568-4142. So now that we have the calendar events out of the way and other interesting things, of course, uh, WERU has its own events calendar where you can find lots of different uh, interesting things going on. Uh, But before we get to our guests, I just wanted to kind of say to listeners out there that it's good to be back and uh, live in the studio over the past 
more than a few months, we've had, I think, a couple pre-recorded shows. We've had a couple uh, weather-related cancellations. And we also had a show that would have fallen on the 1st of January, which was a holiday for everybody, so the, the station was closed down. So uh, good to be back and in the studio and live. So today we are talking about farm to institution movement <clears throat> in the Northeast. And my guests that are here with me today uh, in the studio with me is Riley Neugebauer. And Riley is the farm, to, farm and Seed to Campus Project Manager for Farm to Institution New England. And I want to say thanks for being here, Riley. Thank you. And then on the phone, we have Simka Horwitz. And Simka is the Eastern Mass Program Director for Massachusetts Farm to School. And I want to thank you for being on the phone with us, Simka. Yeah, it's great to be here. All right, great. And then I should say that both Riley and Simka are uh, Farm and Seed to Campus co-coordinators for an initiative we'll talk more about as we get into the show today. So um, I will remind listeners that this will be a call-in show, and about halfway through, maybe around 10.30, we'll open up the phone lines for questions and comments. Um, and at that time, I will give out the toll-free number to call in. But I'd like to kind of jump back to our guests and allow each of them to kind of introduce themselves more thoroughly and speak a little bit about the work that they do before we get into some questions and discussion topics. Um, so I think, Riley, I'd like to turn the mic over to you. And um, thanks for being here. Sure. Thanks for having uh, Simka and I. It's great to see the studio and be here and be able to talk with your guests out there. So. Um, like CJ said, I work for a place called Farm to Institution New England, or FINE as we like to call it for short. And FINE's a six-state network of nonprofit, public, and private entities that work together to try and strengthen the food system and increase the amount of New England grown and processed food that um, we see in schools, hospitals, colleges, and other institutions. And our vision is Ultimately, that we want to see all of these institutions in New England preferentially purchase regionally produced food. So it's a pretty big goal, but there's lots of great things happening out there already. And so it's been great to be a part of that. And my focus has really been on the college and university sector. So um, Simca has been taking on more of a role in southern New England, and then I've been focusing more in northern New England to reach out to campuses and collect some data about what they're doing around local food purchasing, what some of the challenges are, uh, share success stories and models and templates and case studies with others um, in a variety of ways. A lot of it is on our website. We have a great communications coordinator and other staff at FIME that really help um, pull all the pieces together and um, social media, et cetera. And then we also hold a lot of events. So I do a lot of event planning and convenings and things to help um, get people together to talk about this and learn from one another. Um, let's see, we do some, you know, research and report writing and a little bit of one-on-one -on -one kind of assistance with campuses, although not a lot as a network. We tend to focus more on partnering with other folks that are doing more of that really focused work on the ground at the state level or community level. And, um, and then Simka and I are working on creating a farm and seed to campus network in New England so that more people across the region can stay connected. And then the one other thing I think that's worth mentioning is just this year, 
a group called the Maine Farm, uh, Maine Farm to Institution has just formed through some funding from Sewell and uh, Ken Morse and Renee Page and other people that some folks may know that are really active in the farm to school movement in Maine helped get that started. And the idea is to form sort of a state-based version of FINE uh, in Maine that can really do some cross-sector work across hospitals and schools and colleges um, by having some gatherings and um, helping connect more people here in Maine as well. And I live in Lincolnville, so I'm, uh, as they say, not a Mainer, but I do live in Maine. <laughs> And you're nearby. Well, thank, thank you, Riley, for being here today. Um, and then, Simka, if I could kind of turn the mic over to you, if you could give a little description of your, of your work and maybe a bit of your background as well, that would be great. Sure. So, as Riley said, I've been um, really focused on southern New England um, in my work with Fine and this um, Farm and Tea to Campus project. Um, so that has involved working with um, campuses in Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, where I'm based, um, again, with the, the goal of getting more local and regionally grown food um, into campus dining halls. Um, and so uh, we've just recently held some events, both in um, Rhode Island and Connecticut in the past week, actually, um, and really trying to bring together uh, people who are also working on these issues, everything from farmers and fishermen and food distributors to campus dining directors, sustainability officers, administrators, faculty, um, to really sort of push this effort forward. Um, and I have been working with Massachusetts Farm to School for about five years now, and we're a state-based organization that um, really works across um, all different kinds of institutions, everything from preschool through um, colleges. We do some work with hospitals. Um, and on the state level, we're um, also doing some training and technical assistance, so really direct work with farmers about how to access an institutional market, and also direct work with um, school or institutional food service directors about how to work with more locally grown product and um, really how to figure out how to access it in the first place. Um, so it's been really exciting to see this network developing um, across the region, and I think a lot of excitement um, growing down here in southern New England as well as um, up in Maine and throughout northern New England. Okay, great. Thank you, Simka. Um, and I was just curious to get maybe some background. Uh, how long has FINE been in existence, Riley, or...? Um, as an organization or, I guess, a, a group of organizations of, of collaboration, right? Yeah, we really like to think of ourselves as a network, but it's it okay. sort of translates to an organization a lot of times, too, in terms of how we operate. But, um, yeah, FINE has been, existence, been in existence since about 2010 when the Regional Farm to School Steering Committee um, really sort of birthed FINE because there was so much good work happening in the K-12 sector nationally and in New England. And so they thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea to really form a group or a network that could help bring together some of these other institutional um, sectors like hospitals and colleges as well so we can all learn from each other and sort of lift all boats at the same time? Yeah. Okay. And Simica, how about in, in Massachusetts in terms of the Massachusetts farm to school work? Has that been around for a while or a little bit of the history there? Yeah, we actually got started way back in 2004, 
Um, and I would say that one of the things that makes us a little bit different from some other farm-to-school organizations in the area or, or even nationally um, is that we've actually always worked with colleges um, and with the K-12 sector. So, um, and our roots are really in sort of agricultural economic development. So where some other organizations, I would say, have kind of come to farm-to-school more from the educational end of things and teaching students about where their food comes from and school gardens. Um, our roots are much more in helping um, Massachusetts farms find new markets for their product and stay viable in a time of incredible development pressure. Um, and so as the organization has evolved, we have definitely um, taken on a little bit more of that sort of educational side of farm to school. but. Um, really still our focus on, is on um, finding profitable markets for farmers in the institutional sector. Okay, and when you mentioned something about the development pressure, do you mean land development, housing development, and yeah, on farmland? Yeah, um, I mean, I think we're seeing some, um, some changes in this area, but certainly, you know, Massachusetts has some of the um, highest, land value in the country and so it's just really um, hard to keep land in agriculture when there is pressure for both housing and other sorts of commercial development okay all right okay um so have you i'm just wondering with riley and simca have you guys been working together for a while or is this a more recent collaboration riley yeah, first. sure. Um, well, we have been working together for a while. So the first phase of the Farm to College project that Fine took on <clears throat> really started in uh, 2013, I guess it was. And so that's when I started working with Simka um, in her role at Mass Farm to School. She also took on a role doing some Farm to College work in Massachusetts as a part of a bigger regional effort when we really got things going. And then, um, and then we asked Simka last year again if she'd sort of formally commit to working with us on the the network building process in these convenings in rhode island and connecticut and we were lucky enough to um have her on board because she said yes <laughs> okay all right and then um could you also i mean within this network i'm just curious about some of the other uh partners or collaborators is are there I was wondering what the maybe breakup is, if it's a lot of other nonprofit organizations mm -hmm. or is there some state or local governmental organizations involved? Yeah, it's um, it's harder to answer than it may seem. I think on the the sort of high level, when you look at the sectors, so healthcare, we work really closely with an organization called Healthcare Without Harm, and they're a um, international nonprofit that does work with hospitals around sustainability. And part of the work they're doing includes um, a healthy foods program, which local is a part of. So they've done a lot of really great work in New England. So we've worked closely with them on the healthcare side as a nonprofit. And then on the K-12 side, we work with another network, which is the Farm to School Steering Committee for the National Farm to School Network in mm -hmm. uh, the Northeast, that Simca can speak more to that piece of it. And then 
Um, we have a ton of state-based partners like Mass Farm to School and folks in Vermont at Vermont Feed and Shelburne Farms and mm-hmm. NOFA Vermont, et cetera, that do a lot of, of good institutional work there. But um, we also, I think, on either a project basis or depending on the issue, like if we're talking about policy, we might be more inclined then to be partnering with some of the um, departments of ag or mm-hmm. um those kinds of groups. So we definitely do work, I would say, with with lots of groups, um, including the government. Uh, Distributors and businesses are involved in the network, as well as big companies like Sodexo and Chartwells and Aramark. Um, And, you know, we try to stay linked into the smaller scale folks that are doing a really focused amount of work on local food like Crown of Maine or or the Maine Farm and Sea Co-op, et cetera. So uh, I hope that answers it. It's a pretty broad base of folks. Yeah. Um, And it seems like I mean, it seems like it would take a lot of folks to really make make it happen. Yeah. Does that seem to be the case? Yeah. Okay. Um, are there, I'm curious about any kind of current initiatives. I imagine that you mentioned things, maybe there's some policy issues, maybe there are healthcare-related issues, maybe there's uh, educating K-12 through students about local foods. Um, are, there any, uh, are there any big kind of initiatives that are, occurring right now kind of what's the what's the main focus maybe for some of the work yeah and I think Simka may have an answer that's a little different than mine from her work with Mass Farm to School because they do so much good focused work in the state too but for fine um, we look at it by sector but we also look at it by project need so if there's a big project that's arising that seems like it needs a focus then we'll we'll try to put some energy there so um, the one that just is now wrapping up that we put a lot of energy into last year that people probably know about is focusing on influencing the University of Maine system food service contract to have them include both local and real food by 2020 and make some sort of commitment. So they did make a commitment to local food, um, and that contract will start next summer. So um, that's sort of an ongoing uh, project in terms of how it will play out, but a lot of the work mm-hmm. to influence it happened over the last year. And then the the network building process is a big one for us so how do we um do more with the campus sector because we knew that k-12 already had a group of folks helping to sort of structure and organize it and then healthcare had healthcare without harm doing a lot of that connectivity work but there really was a, a bit of a gap in campuses so real food challenge and these other organizations that target campuses have done really great work empowering students and activating students to care about their food system and their food and do good work to influence that but there wasn't sort of this bigger network structure and so we're trying to fill that gap a little bit by creating a network that um Simca and I are helping catalyze and find is helping um create the or incubate it I guess you could say and so Uh it's just getting started and there'll be working groups and things so that's um a big one for us and then fine as a whole the other two I'll mention is we have a shared metrics project so it's really about looking at data across the different sectors uh, in the supply chain and on the institutional side. So both farmers, distributors, and then institutional data that we can start looking at across sectors and across the region and say, here's kind of the baseline, here's how we're doing around some of these indicators for farm to institution and what kind of effect are we having in the region over time is the hope. And we have a dashboard tool online and access to data for people that want to use it for policy or planning, et cetera. Um, And then the food service project is the last one I'll mention, and the idea with that is that we wanted to do some 
multi-year um, research and analysis on the food service industry for institutions, a lot of which is dominated by big corporate multinational companies. Uh, and so it was partly the first year about looking in more detail, how do those companies work? What are they doing as far as local foods? What kind of practices are good and what kinds of practices are actually taking away from the ability to source more products regionally or locally? And um, we put, put out some reports and then this past year we did some deeper dives into looking at institutional um, budgets and things to understand those better and ultimately created a really robust toolkit that's on our website called the Food Service Toolkit. And uh, the idea there is that if you're an advocate or you're on an institution and you want to figure out how you can write an RFP or a contract for your food service, either for a distributor or for a management company to run your food service, there's a lot of detail there. And so you can yeah, go sure. in and get all this info about the best way to include the values that you care the most about beyond just making things cheap. <laughs> Beyond the economics of it all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Simka, can I ask you about some of maybe the um, kind of key initiatives that you're working on these days? And I know that there's collaboration with, with Riley here as well, um, but some of the activities maybe in, in southern New England. Yeah. So, um, well, as Riley mentioned, the, the sort of creation of this regional farm and seed to campus network has been um, a major focus. So building out sort of a leadership team for that. And one of the things that was really exciting was just the level of interest we got for people who said, saying, I want to help hear this and, um, and contribute to it. We had, I think, around 40 applicants saying, for people saying, I want to be on this um, steering committee of this new network. And we're looking forward to sort of um, building that out and getting a lot of different people engaged who are, um, both folks working, you know, at a policy level, people working on campuses in a lot of different roles, and also um, producers. Um, and another thing that I would mention is, um, and I think we're seeing this really um, throughout New England, and it's definitely been a focus of my work in Massachusetts lately, um, is really the incorporation of seafood into this what has previously, I would say, been called a farm-to-institution movement, and we're really trying to kind of um, insert the, the seafood industry, and, and that's resonating with a lot of people. I think it just makes a lot of sense for um, coastal communities and from, you know, where we are in New England. Um, so this fall, we published a series of case studies highlighting how different kinds of institutions throughout New England, so K through 12 schools, hospitals, and colleges, um, how they're actually succeeding in getting locally landed seafood into their uh, cafeterias or dining halls, um, and sort of the innovative ways that um, people are figuring out how to do that, um, and the impact that it's having on fishing communities in our region. So I'm really excited about um, the incorporation of that into this this work and I think that was this event that we held uh, last week in Rhode Island which was called a Rhode Island Farm and Seed Campus Convening and really a sort of um, attempt to kind of kick off more of this work in Rhode Island. There's a great organization called Farm Fresh Rhode Island that's um, been working with the K-12 sector for several years and has done some work with college campuses but I think um, is looking to do a bit more. Um, and this was really an opportunity to just bring a lot of people together who maybe 
hadn't kind of been talking or interacting in the past, and that was incredibly successful. We had about 75 people turn out, and um, folks from the Rhode Island Food Policy Council and the Farm Bureau and um, dining directors from several of the state's college campuses. Um, so I think there's a lot of energy down there to kind of um, move things forward, and um, especially given the um, the landscape down there to make sure that seafood is really included from the start. Um, so that's definitely been an area of focus lately. Okay. Yeah, it seems like the incorporation of seafood is on the rise. There seems to be a lot of interest, um, at least what I've seen recently. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really makes sense for a lot of um, fishing communities where there is sort of an abundance of what are often, you know, underutilized species. Um, and really strict limits on some of the species that are um, much more commonly purchased in a retail setting, that institutional markets can be a great outlet um, for some of those underutilized species, and they can be really cost-competitive and provide a new market for fishermen who otherwise may have really struggled to um, sell that catch, and it's a much more sustainable product. So it really feels like... Um, institutions can be uh, really great support to um, some uh, an industry that's really been facing a lot of pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well, I just wanted to take a minute and remind listeners that you are tuned in to Common Ground Radio. And today we are talking about uh, farm to institution initiatives in New England. And my guests are Riley Neugebauer and Simka Horwitz. So... Um, I did want to say in the interest of full disclosure that you both have mentioned this newly created Farm and Sea to Campus Steering Committee, and um, and I should say that I am a, a member of that committee through my work with uh, College of the Atlantic, so mm-hmm. let's make sure nothing is hidden there for, <laughs> for <laughs> listeners at all. Um, so I think that what I'd like to maybe move into next, and we'll open up the phone lines here in maybe five minutes or so. Um, but I'm just wondering if I would ask each, each of you if you could maybe give some highlights or some institutions that have kind of are really working to make it happen um, and then thinking about and then once you get those kind of identified, what I would ask next about would be some like the success around it, but also what are some of the challenges. But I think, Riley, if I asked you first, maybe some of the institutions that seem to be really, really putting a lot of effort into this movement. Sure. Yeah, there's really some great leaders out there. Maybe I'll focus on some northern New England examples. Simca, if you want to talk about some folks in the southern part of New England. But um, in Maine, I would say I've been really impressed with what St. Joseph's College of Maine is doing. So they're in sort of the southwestern part of Maine. And they used to be a corporate account under Bon Appetit was the name of the company. And Um, they ended up transitioning to become self-operated, which means that the college took over running its own dining services instead of outsourcing it a few years back and have been really successful in doing that. And they have a really dynamic dining director and team. And they have a farm manager, Mike Russell, the dining director is Stuart Leckie. And they, um, you know, together have really made it an amazing program where I think they're sourcing, you know, 40 to 50% of their food locally. They're producing a lot of it on campus. They're donating food to the food bank um, that's left over. They're, um, 
they're really doing a seasonal menu, so incorporating what what is the right thing to do at the right time of year and taking advantage of excess at, at high times in the season, so have direct relationships with farmers, et cetera. So they've been really impressive to, to learn more about. Um, they also, I think, have a little bit more money to spend, as do many of the liberal arts kinds of campuses. So. What's nice is also to look at some of these public institutions that are also doing a really great job. And I would say University of Maine Orno is doing really great work and has been for a few years. They have a direct partnership with Lakeside Farms, uh, Stu Smith and Sarah Redfield, and have for, for a couple of years. And so they do some planning with the farmer in the wintertime to look ahead to the season to grow certain crops, and they build it into their menus across a whole bunch of their dining halls. Because as you can imagine, a school that's serving, you know, thousands and thousands of meals a day, they have more than one dining facility and different people managing different purchasing and it gets really complicated. And so they figured out a way to get, you know, lakeside farm carrots on their actual institutional recipes so that when the different people go to order, they know that that's what to ask for. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. been really impressive to learn about and see what they're doing. And they're looking to continue to increase it. They've also worked closely with students on the Real Food Challenge calculator process, which allows them to track how they're doing not just on local but on humane treatment of animals and uh, fair labor practices and ecologically sound growing practices like organic. So they're doing that work with students, which is really great. Um, College of the Atlantic is not just for your sake, CJ, but is doing really awesome work and was one of the early signers, I think, of the Real Food Challenge commitment to 20% by 2020. Great student involvement, lots of production on site, lots of seasonal menu creation by their dining folks, um, really fantastic. And I think similar to COA Sterling College in Vermont, really impressive, lots of on-campus production and skills-based learning for students around it, but also in the dining facility itself, huge amount of local food pr uh, procurement happening there. Um, I'll stop soon. University of New Hampshire, <laughs> doing really, really great work with seafood and, and events with students. and commitments in various ways and working with farms. Um, <clears throat> and then Colby College, which is a Sodexo account, has been doing really great work with seafood and Gulf of Maine Research Institute, committing to a certain percentage of um, using underutilized species that are certified or, or called Gulf of Maine responsibly harvested through the program that GMRI has in place. Uh, and then UVM, I would say a lot of these big land-grant institutions are actually doing really impressive work, and some of them are, um, UVM is a Sodexo account as well. Uh, so so across the board, I'd say it's it's really great to see. And, and one thing that Orno has done and that some of these other bigger schools have done who can't really handle a lot of individual farms coming to their door all the time, um, they want to get a lot of their food through distributors, and so it sort of becomes about that negotiation with their distributor, whether it's PFG North Center or Native Maine or Crown of Maine. Mm -hmm. You know, how can we get more local products? And some of them do it by working closely with a food hub or with Crown of Maine or Farm Fresh Connection to get it or Unity Food Hub. Um, and others work with the bigger distributors and say, Cisco, PFG, like, we need you to be our partner on this, and they put it in their contracts. And mm -hmm. um, Orno has been good about trying to change some of their contract language to get distributors to do more, which is great. Okay, seems like a lot of good examples. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, Simka, do you have a few from from the southern part of New England? Sure. Um, and I, I should start by saying that my knowledge of campuses in Connecticut and Rhode Island is a little bit more limited because it's just been a lot less time than I've been working in that area, but um, I've been really impressed by 
um, what I've seen at the University of Connecticut. Um, I think, as Riley mentioned, some of these larger state schools that are land-grant institutions um, have some incredible programs going, and I would put UConn in that category. Um, they tend to maybe not get quite as much attention as some other um, institutions, but they're sort of pretty quietly doing some great stuff, um, doing a lot of local sourcing, a little bit direct from some farms in the area, but also a lot through their um, distributor. But then they also, the dining services really oversees the on-campus farming operation. Um, I know they're looking forward to hosting um, a gathering about on-campus farming um, next fall. So I think they're really wanting to share some of their experience and connect with other people who are doing that. And that we're really seeing as a growing aspect of this um, farm-to-college movement is this increasing um, production on the campus itself, um, which provides great opportunities for students to get some um, you know, first-hand experience actually getting their hands dirty out in the field um, and also can be a great way to affordably incorporate um, hyper-locally grown products into the dining hall. Hyper, um, hyper-local, I, I yes, like that. Yes, like hyper-hyper-local. <laughs> um, and um, another example that I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people may have heard of, they're often referenced as really not just a leader in New England but a leader nationally. Um, is UMass Amherst. Um, they're also, you know, operate their own dining services. Um, they have incredible quality food that um, features a tremendous percent of um, local products. Um, they have also signed on to the Real Food Challenge campus commitment. Um, and I think one of the things that's really great about their model, some of which is, is really an um, a result of the fact that they're situated in the heart of the agricultural um, part of Massachusetts in the Pioneer Valley, but they're doing a tremendous amount of their purchasing direct from farmers. Um, and I've, you know, often heard them talk about uh, how they're really able to save money by buying locally. And I think there's often this perception that local food is, you know, always going to be more expensive. And they're kind of proving that wrong that when you are able to forge those sorts of direct relationships, you can actually um, often do it in an incredibly affordable way. And so they're buying direct and they're working with a farm who's really serving as like an aggregator of product from a lot of smaller farms in the area. So it's enabling them to access a really wide variety of products but not get, you know, tiny deliveries from 30 different producers. Um, and another example I would give is from the K through 12 sector is the um, Springfield, Massachusetts Public Schools, um, which is their dining services are run by um, Sodexo, and they're doing um, a really cool program that they call Adopt a Farm, uh, where they're essentially contracting with some farms in the area to grow products specifically for. Uh, their uh, school food services. Um, and they're also doing a tremendous amount of um, production in school gardens. So they use their school gardens as educational tools, but they're also producing um, really significant volumes of food. Um, and they're having um, their distributor do some processing of that. So for example, they grow a lot of collard greens on um, school grounds, 
And then they have their distributor pick up the collard greens. They wash them and slice them so that they're delivered back to the school in a form that um, is a lot easier for the school to work with, um, given their sort of limited equipment and, and labor budgets. Um, and that's been a really neat model so that the students really know not just that it's a local product, but um, either the exact farm that grew it for the school or the fact that they may have been involved in growing the product themselves that came from a school garden. I should add um, the one hospital example that's really great in Maine is Maine General. They've been for years doing really great work on local food that's really stood out and carry medical up in northern Maine as well. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I just heard from Maine Health is that a program that I'm sure is happening in other places, other institutions, but that I don't have specific examples for outside of Maine Health is an employee-based program where as part of a benefit package, you get $100 to put towards various um, healthy living kinds of choices, and it can cover a CSA, for example, or go towards a CSA. So there's some of those kinds of programs that really um, are geared more towards the individual consumer that might work at an institution, not just mm -hmm. in the cafeterias, which is really nice to see also. And a lot of institutions, campuses for sure, are looking at and, and are already hosting CSA drop-off sites to give employees access to local farm food that way too, which is really fantastic. And I would be remiss to say that Unity College is worth a mention, and uh, and I want to say that they also have been doing good work for a long time and now have a greenhouse facility, and and we're going to be hosting an event with them in June on the 6th and 7th for um, targeting small campuses and dining in particular around local foods, uh, which will be really fun. All right. All right. Well... Uh, I'm going to remind listeners again that this is Common Ground Radio, and today we are talking about the Farm to Institution movement in New England with Riley Neugebauer and Simka Horwitz. And I would like to open up the phone lines at this time if anyone were to have any questions or comments. And the toll-free number to call in to the studio here is 1-866-625-9378. Um, one of the things that I just, when you guys were giving these examples, uh, I'm kind of wondering what, when universities and colleges are making this decision to purchase more local food, I'm wondering what's kind of driving that decision. Is it something that's coming from the administration? Are they feeling that students and staff and faculty are really demanding this? Or is it kind of a bigger just recognition that maybe things should be moving in this direction. And um, Riley, if you want to start on that. Well, oh, I think we have, okay, it looks like we have a caller. And uh, we have MJ from Belfast, if you want to go ahead with your question or comment. Okay, thank you for letting me have the phone line for a minute. I worked for 16 years at Stonehill College in Massachusetts. It's a small liberal arts college outside of Boston. And I wanted to give them a shout out because they've started a farm program too for their liberal arts students. And um, they're also providing food to the area community. And they've also turned a field into a, um, just filled with solar panels. So they've, they're generating um, some of their own electricity, which is really great. And I wanted to throw out a couple of ideas. What about a median strip um, or town island farming initiative? Um, you know, is that something like to think about for the future instead of just mowing these green areas? And then another idea is about a composting initiative. I know in Greenfield, Massachusetts, there's a father and son who go around collecting people's garbage and turning it into compost and soil and then 
selling it, but very reasonably. So anyway, thanks for the show. Just some thoughts. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks for calling in. Um, so I want to get back to, uh, I was just thinking, what is really driving the, the decision at this institutional level? Sure. Riley, you want to? Yeah, um, and thanks, MJ. I agree. Stonehill's great. Great campus garden program. Agreed. Um, and like your other ideas, too. Um, I think that it's shifted over the years. It's predominantly on campuses been driven by students, I think, in the last few years because of groups like Real Food Challenge and just general student youth activism around we want to know where our food comes from and we want to know what we're paying for and mm-hmm. and how it gets here and if it's supporting our communities. And I think that's really great. Um What's interesting is that in a lot of the surveys that we've done lately where we ask people to identify their top challenges, the the one they are the least worried about is support from from around them. So most of them are sort of like, we don't lack support. Like we know that people want it. It's very clear that people want it. And mm-hmm. now it's a matter of how do you actually implement it. So I think that's changed a little bit. But the, um, leading up to that, it was really about um, probably student pressure. I think in healthcare, it would probably be different. It's more coming from clinicians and mm-hmm. administrators, and and Simka can speak more to K twelve. But I think um, it can come from lots of places, and it's really great if you have a dining director that's really excited about it because that makes a big difference. But yeah. you also ultimately need to get some top level support probably, and and the grassroots. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, well, we have. Yeah, I would add. That, um, hey, uh, Simka, can I can I ask you to hold the thought just because we have another caller on the sure. line, and then sorry to cut you off, but we'll come right back to you. Um, but we do have Catherine from Appleton on the line, so you could go ahead, Catherine, with your question or comment. Catherine, to let people know that at the uh, prison or jail down in Rockland, they have the most beautiful gardens. The people, the 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 ones in, you know, in tour, in the ones there, um, are working the gardens. They have roosters and chickens. I have to follow it up and find out if it's food for them or they're, you know, growing it for the schools and themselves. But it's just wonderful, and it's just giving these young men just hope. And you know, you know what it's like to put your hands in the soil. Just getting them grounded. So I just want to let people know that's going on. It's wonderful. All right, that's good to hear, Catherine. Thanks for calling in. Bye bye. Bye. Um, simply, I'll, we'll, sorry for cutting you off there to let the caller on, but we'll come back around to you about the uh, driving the decision for this change in institutions. Yeah, and I appreciate Catherine's mention of um, prison, certainly another kind of institution. I think a place where, again, we're seeing um, some really creative programs that are um, looking at growing as part of a you know therapeutic program and also just improving meal quality. There's a really interesting example of that um, down here in Massachusetts in the town of Concord where they actually were raising um, beef cattle on the grounds and then um, selling them to the local high schools to make hamburgers. So that was a really nice um, town initiative. Um, But what I was going to say about the sort of what's driving the pressure for local foods, I think it does really vary on the institution. um, I think there's some places where we've done uh, work with a campus that says, you know, it's really not coming from the students. Like, we don't have a um, really political student body, or it's a student body that is not particularly connected to food issues. Uh, I remember working with an art school that you know, they had a really creative student body, but, you know, and a lot of whom were not particularly focused on food as kind of their 
ASU um, and another institution that just said the administration was really committed to it. Um, it was a public university that um, wanted to make uh, some real commitments around local food to support the local economy. Um, but that was entirely coming from the administration. They made those choices not because they felt like they were responding to student demand, but because there was some leadership in the institution really calling for it. So I think um, Riley speaks to a general sort of movement of students um, over the years really um, driving a lot of this. And I, I think that's still the case in many institutions. But there are some that are really um, just have some really sort of visionary leadership that um, knows this is an important issue um, for uh, a lot of different reasons and um, is making those commitments whether or not the students have asked for it or not. Okay. All right. Um, well, we do have another caller on the line. We have Jody from Harborside. Could you go ahead with your uh, question or comment, please? Yes. Uh, MOFCA is playing a lead role in the National Forum of Beyond Pesticides next month, the 15th and 16th of April in Portland. It's at USM on those two days. And it would therefore be appropriate for this program to be devoted entirely to that national forum. Is that the plan? For the April show, is that what you're asking? Yes. Uh, we have a couple things in the works, works, but I could look into that a little bit further, if that's your suggestion. A couple of things in the works? Yeah, in terms of topics for the April show. Well, I hope you will decide to devote it to that for the public relations value. Okay, I will definitely look into that and see what we can pull together. Thank you. Thank, for you. thank you for calling, Judy. Um, okay, so decision making it seems like colleges and institutions maybe more grassroots students, but it's good to hear that maybe on the administrative level is just recognized overall as um, maybe just improving health. I would say, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I guess to you know maybe contrast the success. I'm just curious about maybe what some of the challenges are um, to actually getting more local foods in, into institutions. And I don't know if we need to uh, maybe highlight specific examples that maybe just there, are, I imagine there are some themes or some trends that different institutions are struggling with to try to get over that hurdle. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if Riley, you'd want to Sure. Can you point out some of those, and, and, and then we'll come to you, Simka, if you have any examples as well. Great. <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, the list is a little long of the potential challenges, but the good news is people are finding creative ways to overcome them. Um, I think the one that we hear the most about is probably price point that it's tough for folks who are working within an institutional budget framework where they may not have a lot of control over the size of their budget from year to year, that it's, you know, consistently staying at a pretty tight level and hard mm -hmm. to increase. And so to accommodate a lot more local food can often mean that you need to spend a little bit more money and that can be hard for folks. So we're talking about institutions spending, um, you know, a dollar fifty per plate on food up to three fifty or four dollars on the really high end, which still isn't that much, but the ones who have more like three dollars or, or more can do a lot more than the folks who have two dollars. So I think on average the college um dining folks nationally in in a survey 
it's like 250 or something is the average lunch food cost. And so it's not a ton, but um, especially when folks may want to try to incorporate more organic and more um, foods that take on some of these other values as well. So, so that's a big one. I would say availability during the academic calendar can be really tough. So if you're a school or a college and you're operating when you're not actually in peak season for the most part, it can be challenging to figure out how you build those seasonal menus in January, February, March in a way that um, helps meet student needs and desires and keeps your um, customer satisfaction rate high enough. So uh, a lot of that has to do on the other end of it with infrastructure and processing and storage needs that may or may not be in place right now in our food system. For the most part, we know that that's a big issue is what are the bricks and mortar sort of pieces of this. Um, the other piece is tracking and traceability. How do you, um, when you do start buying local food and you're getting a lot of it through a distribution chain, how do you actually figure out what your local product purchasing is so that you can tell that to your customers and that that's a lot more challenging than I think most people realize just because of how complex the whole system is right now. Um, so I would say that's the big one. And then for me, the way that all those things intertwine on the cost side is how do we figure out how to pay people well who work on farms and work in food processing facilities who in most cases are not paid a living wage? And how do we grow things more sustainably and meet some of this huge, huge institutional demand when the price points are so low and they're competing with sort of global commodity markets and things. It's just really, that to me is the big dilemma is that how do you create that access? Okay, well, it uh, looks like we have another caller and then Simcoe, I'll ask you some challenges. Um, but we have Barb from Blue Hill on the line. If you'd like to go ahead with your comment or question, Barb. Hi, this is Barb Haskell, and I work at Blue Hill Memorial Hospital. I'm the food service director there. And so I'm super excited to hear your program today because this is uh, work that we've been doing since 2007. Uh, we started with Healthcare Without Harm. And so I just wanted to thank you for the work that you're doing. Okay. Well, thank you for Thanks, calling. Barb. Thank you for calling in, Barb. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Um, Sipika, I'll come back to you just to think about maybe a couple of the challenges. I imagine there's some overlap with what Riley had just mentioned, but um, what, do you, what do you see in southern New England? Similar issues or challenges? Yeah, Riley really touched on a, a lot of the big ones. I think one slight difference that we see um, in southern New England compared to northern New England um, is really related to sort of population density. So um, I would say that we, particularly in Massachusetts, you know, we have um, a whole lot of eaters and not a whole lot of land. So the issue of product availability is not just about seasonality, um, but it's really about um, there being a significant volume of wholesale product. Um, I think over the years, particularly in southern New England, um, there's been a lot of work put into developing direct consumer markets, um, and I know a lot of success in that area. So tremendous proliferation of farmers markets and CSAs, um, which has really been um, wonderful for a lot of farmers, but has also meant that there's not a lot of product available um, for people to purchase sort of at an institutional level in the wholesale market. Um, and this is really one of the reasons why Klein takes a regional approach, that there's a um, you know desire to sort of look um, very locally for product and then um, to sort of 
be having a kind of tiered approach to your purchasing so that if it's not available in state, um, you really are still prioritizing looking at the region instead of just uh, kind of by default um, going back to a conventional or commodity market. Um, so I think that product availability is, um, is a challenge. Um, and another thing I would say that's kind of specific to the K-12 sector um, often relates to um, the, both the availability of the equipment to process locally grown food. So um, a lot of schools do not have full-service kitchens. Um, they've often, you know, over the years kind of taken those out in favor of really just sort of heating and serving meals um, but not doing a lot of scratch cooking. And I think we're, you know, really seeing a turn in, um, back to scratch cooking, which is incredibly encouraging. Um, but a lot of schools still really lack the equipment to be able to work with whole product in any way. Um, and they also face incredible time and budgetary constraints. So the um, price that Riley mentioned in terms of um, lunch on a college campus is pretty similar for um, – Generally, in a K through 12 environment, the the reimbursement that schools are getting from the federal government, because um, it's a federal program that runs a um, school lunch program, um, they get two dollars and seventy five cents per meal, about. Um, but that's not just covering food; that's covering um, paying all of your staff, paying for equipment, like really running the whole operation. So they have incredibly limited budgets, um, and they also have incredibly limited time to eat lunch. So we often see schools tell us that they've got, a, you know, a 15-minute lunch period in which they have to move, um, you know, 200 kids through a lunch line. And so by the time the kid at the end of the line is actually getting their meal, they may only have a few minutes, and they definitely um, don't have enough time to be um, really eating whole foods. So something like a whole apple actually takes a little bit of time to eat relative to some other processed foods. So the um, time constraint is a really significant one in the K-12 environment. Oh, and I had not thought of that before in terms of trying to get as many kids through in, in a, shorter, a shorter time for lunch break. Um, well, the... I should say that we are almost towards the end of the show. We only have a few minutes left, so I wanted to just give each of you, Riley and Simka, uh, if you had something that you really wanted to say that we haven't talked about yet, um, if there's anything, Riley, you want to mention in just the last few minutes here before we wrap up the show. Sure. Um, couple, two things. One's really short. Fine uh, put on a Farm to Institution Summit in 2015 at UMass Amherst that was regional and brought together folks from all the sectors, and we had over 600 people in attendance, and we'll do that again in 2017. So for folks listening that are interested, um, it might be something you'd like to attend and learn more, or you're already a part of this network and want to get more plugged in, please you know, visit farmtoinstitution.org to stay plugged in and sign up for our Email newsletter is a great way to stay up to date on what we're up to. And then one exciting main project I thought it would be worthwhile to mention is the the main uh, carrot stick project, which Northern Girl and Chris Hallweaver have been working hard on for a while now. And uh, the basic concept is 
institution-supported agriculture rather than community-supported agriculture, mm -hmm. and the idea that could we find ways to help every Maine school uh, child get at least one serving of Maine-grown carrots uh, a week. And so they've done some math on that and want to figure it out in the next few years how they can hit you know, 40, 50% of schools in the next couple of years with that goal. And the way to do it is they have to subsidize the cost difference between the local carrot and the conventional carrot that's coming mostly from California. And uh, and use and they figure out what the math is on, on that amount of money that's needed, and then they're finding sponsors. So Cary Medical has sponsored, I think, eight weeks of local carrots for kids in the schools near them in Caribou area of Aroostook mm -hmm. County, which is really fantastic as a pilot, and, and they're looking for other folks that want to partner at the community level on making that happen for their school district to really, and, and the idea is ultimately you'll help make carrots more cost competitive in Maine because you create the market. Yeah, so. definitely. Okay. And Simca, maybe in, I, was, I hate to say just about 30 seconds or so, but any, any final words in closing that you want, um, want to share with listeners that we didn't touch on? Sure. I think um, one thing I'd just like to reiterate is that there's a lot of resources out there on the local level to um, help foster these relationships between farms and institutions. So if you're a grower or a local food producer of any sort and you're um, interested in connecting with institutions, that um, getting in touch with myself or with Riley, um, if we can't connect you to an institution, we can um, put you in touch with someone in your area who may be able to help in, in that regard. All right, great, great. Um, well, we are kind of at the end of the show here, and um, I want to thank uh, my guests, Riley Nugebauer and Simka Horwitz, Horwitz, for being with us here today. And folks, remember that Common Ground Radio is heard on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. And I would like to thank Amy Brown for engineering this show and, um, and also for tuning in and supporting listeners. I'd like to thank listeners for tuning in and supporting WERU. And it looks like we have uh, On the Wing coming up next. So stay tuned. And thank you, folks. See you next month. Volunteers, staff, and